It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Hello, I'm Michael D. Eisenberg. I'm the Tech Savvy Lawyer, blogging at the Tech Savvy Lawyer page and host of the Tech Savvy Lawyer page podcast. In this podcast series, I'll be interviewing lawyers, judges, and others in the area of law to talk about where they see lawyers new and seasoned taking advantage of technology in their legal work and how all lawyers can utilize technology to better their practice, improve their services to their clients, and enhance their own lives. The podcast will try to stay focused, asking each guest three questions and asking the guest to provide their top three best answers for each question asked. There is no right or wrong answer, as each tip may or may not be the right one for you, but it may springboard an idea for you, and along the way, you may learn something new. My next guest is Megan Savaya. She is a blogger and ethics attorney. My next guest is Megan Savaya, an ethics attorney and blogger, and we're excited to have her here today. Megan, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Michael? I'm doing fantastic. It's a it's a brand new year and uh, things are moving smoothly now. Uh, Megan, uh, tell us a little bit more about what you do. So as my tagline says, I save lawyers careers. And that's because most of my work, about 99% of it, is defending lawyers before the state bar on charges of ethics violations. And I do that primarily in California although I'm admitted in multiple states. And I also write and speak on ethics issues, advise uh, candidates for the state bar, applicants on moral character issues. And from time to time, I get the really fun job, and I mean that, (laughs) it's not sarcasm, um, (laughs) of advising new lawyers who are going to go start their own practices. So sometimes they're actually new lawyers. Sometimes they are just new solo lawyers. Um, But we talk about things that solo lawyers do correctly and incorrectly and how best to position yourself and your practice so that it will run smoothly and you won't end up needing my primary services. And and then where is your blog at? We will post it in the the show notes, of course, and we'll ask you at the end about where we can find you. But since we're on that specific topic at the moment. So my blog is CaliforniaStateBarDefense.com, which links you back to my main website, ZavierLaw.com. Fantastic. And I'm presuming, as we're about to talk about, and as you and I kind of chatted earlier, you have some ethics hurdles to discuss when it comes to using technology in the arena of law. Absolutely. I love how, well, I love using tech. Um, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not the, the, I need the latest, greatest gadget kind of tech. I'm more the, how can tech make my life easier sort of a person. And I like to see lawyers integrate tech into their practices, again, to make it easier, also to make it more safeguarded against ethics violations. And I also talk a lot about how to use tech without screwing up in and of itself how you're using the tech um, and creating ethics issues for yourself. So uh, before we get started in the meat and potatoes, tell us what tech you're sporting today? What are you using in your law office? So I operate on Windows, on Microsoft 365, um, or Office 365 is sort of the backbone. Um, with Clio, practice management software, I integrate like crazy using Zapier. So I don't mm-hmm. know what I will do if Zapier goes down. Um, we use Dropbox. 
And so things integrate um, through both Clio and, and Dropbox all the time using Zapier. We use Acuity for scheduling, uh, LaPay for payment processing, and Stripe for payment processing in our Acuity, um, which is our scheduling app um, that doesn't support LaPay. So there we use Stripe. And for the listener, what is Zapier? So Zapier basically marries two apps that don't otherwise talk to each other. So what, here's a good example that we do in our firm is if you go into Clio and open a new matter, it'd be awesome, wouldn't it, if your files were automatically created in your file explorer on Windows so that you didn't have to then go and open a new matter there. Well, that's what Zapier does. Zapier looks at Clio and goes, ah, you have a new matter. And it turns over to Office and says, we need a new matter, or actually to Dropbox, and says, we need a new matter opened. And it opens a new file with a subset of folders and copies over some template documents that we're going to need in order to start the new matter. So Zapier will talk to, I I don't even know what they're up to now. I think it's over a 1,000 different apps. So when they otherwise don't talk to each other, Zapier makes them talk. So it can you know, create all kinds of cool functions between two and even more uh, apps that otherwise don't talk to each other. And it's a great backbone for, you know, building really cool integrations. Tell us what tech devices you are using. We're using a laptop, using an iPhone, a desktop. So device-wise, um, I work from a laptop where I've, I've always been just really married to having my my own little portable device here. Um, And then my husband set me up with multiple external monitors, which I thought was a ridiculous indulgence and I couldn't possibly need. And now I can't stand to live without them. So when I'm on the road and I just have my laptop, I'm like, what is this? Uh, So I also have an external screen that I carry with me when I'm traveling. Oh, wow. um, which is awesome. But like when you say external screen, is it like, is it a monitor or is it like a tablet? Or It's a little, um, it, it's just the monitor and it's as, you know, it's smaller than the laptop, lighter than the laptop. And it hooks up with just a cable, not no power cord. Okay. And expands my workspace so that basically, unless I'm trapped in the tin box of an airplane, I can have two monitors, which makes me very happy. Now, I've, I know I've walked into other lawyers' office, offices and you know, I say, hey, how come you don't have a second monitor or even a third monitor? And they're like, mm-hmm. well, that's, you know, why would I want that? And you know, how do I do that? And I quickly set them up for, you know, show them how to do it. And then they call me like a week later and like, oh my God, this is fantastic. Yeah. Like, how did I ever live without it, right? Exactly. And I mean, I get like, I, you know, I just, I love talking about tech. And so I, I just mention it casually and then like it's easy to do on a Windows or a Mac machine. And at least to get one monitor, sometimes two. Um, but anyway, we kind of digress. No, that's okay. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, that's my main hardware. And then I, my iPhone is my primary phone. So even my work phone runs through that. Um, and that's pretty much all I need. Well, well let me ask you. You said you had a, a laptop. You know, what's mm-hmm. the make, model? How old is it? I have a Dell Latitude, and it's um, it must be about two years old now. I replaced my Lenovo Yoga with it. I love my yoga, but the hard drive was just too small. And it was really, really like I was constantly having to delete things and move things to the cloud that I really wanted held locally. Um, So this one makes me really happy. It has a 500 gig hard drive. So I won't really ever run out of space with what I need to store locally. 
but yet you have a Windows device and an iPhone. I do. How, how do you can uh, comport the two? Well, I, you know, I've never been an Apple or a Mac user. Um, growing up, my mom had Macs at work and it was always like this other world. And then when I did use one at a couple of jobs, it just never really spoke to me as much. So I'm just super comfortable with the PC environment. And now really with the apps that I need on my phone, they're all cloud-based. So they integrate just fine. You know, I'm using Clio and Dropbox on my phone, but they don't care that my laptop is PC. Uh, I just, I always find that interesting when you, when you see people who are so, you know, hard, hardly hard emboldened in using their Windows devices, yet they really like the iPhone or the iPad and it just kind of doesn't square away in my mind, but you know, that's see, just I don't, I just don't do well changing. Like mm -hmm. I don't like massive changes. Right. And so my first smartphone was an iPhone. And so probably for the next 15 years, they will all be iPhones because I know how to use it and I'm good. Right, right. You know, and when I, I, some of my closest friends use Android phones and they're great and they're super happy. And I look at them like, yeah, I'd have to learn how to use that. I just don't, I don't have the energy, the bandwidth. I'm good. <laughs> as long as I'm happy with what I'm using, I don't look to change. That's why I said like, I'm not somebody who wants the latest, greatest new device. I just want tech to work for me. I don't want to work for my tech. Right. And that part I understand. And, you know, change can be a little bit scary. But on the other hand, remember when attorneys were first starting to use laptops and computers more than, you know, the traditional typewriter or having mm -hmm. their secretary, you know, you know, read off or listen off to the dictations they've used from their little micro cassettes. But so I remember those days well. I grew because uh, my dad was a solo lawyer. So I okay. grew up with that. And my mom transcribed his tapes and I learned how to dictate. And I did a bit of that in my first couple of firms, you know, but obviously now that's extremely outdated. I, though there are some attorneys who still work that way, believe it or not. Yeah, they shouldn't, but there are. <laughs> well, anyway, let, let's start uh, getting into um, the substance of what we're going to talk about today. And let me ask you first, what are three fundamental bar sanctionable flaws attorneys are doing when they use technology in their practice? So good question. Um, and I've got three, um, three answers for each of your three questions. And the Fantastic. first um, with this one is a lack of security. I think that people don't recognize that not making sure our tech is secure can actually lead to bar discipline issues. We don't see it a ton yet. And I think that gives a false sense of security to a lot of lawyers, but not using secure tech is just about the same as leaving your client files wide open at Starbucks on the table while you go to the right, bathroom. Right. Okay. And like most of us could recognize, right? That that's a problem. I shouldn't well, do that. Well, one thing I found uh, fascinating is, you know, I, I've, I've gone to Starbucks for years, if you will, or to a coffee shop mm -hmm. and, you know, I brought my, my laptop or my, my tablet or iPhone and, say 10, 15 years ago, you, you really guarded that stuff. Now, if you got to use the facilities, you just say, Hey, do you mind watching that? Or even sometimes, pardon me, they'll just walk away and, and leave it I there and anyone can that. take it. Or, or like they don't even bother to close the screen to at least lock mm -hmm. the screen. And like, you know, if you were a lawyer and you did that and you lost stuff, that would be a huge problem. 
It would be. And I see people do that all the time. And I'm like, I'm the one who's like completely packing my stuff up and going to the bathroom and hoping my table's still there, you know, or leaving my dirty cup mm -hmm. and hoping mm -hmm. that, that nobody thinks that they can clear it and take my spot because I would never leave it. I'm way too paranoid. But those basic things like that are the security that I see us you know, being too flippant about. So sometimes it's the physical devices, leaving right. them out. But even like not using a VPN, super okay. cheap, super easy to use a VPN right. anytime you're on a public Wi-Fi, you know, sitting in the airport, which I've been known to do for hours upon hours. Right. Don't be doing that without a VPN or at Starbucks. I mean, you, I think we often think no one really wants what's on my computer, right? My client files don't contain any financial information or banking information. Nobody's going to be able to get anything if they were to get my files. So no one will try, but that's really silly because no one knows what's in your files right. Right? until they right. steal them. Exactly. And exactly. so you got to get away from that sort of false sense of security and even things like email. I mean, I can't tell you how many lawyers I still see using, you know, even some at AOL.com, at gmail.com, at hotmail, at Yahoo, and using these free email accounts, which there is nothing secure about them. And they're having clients send them all kinds of information. Sometimes that is sensitive financial information. So the lack of security is absolutely my first answer to your question of where lawyers are going wrong. And it can really lead to bar discipline. They don't think so yet, but if you look at that, that's just like leaving your files out and leaving your files out, we've seen lead to discipline. So it's only a matter of time before the cybersecurity aspect of it also leads to discipline. So one of the interesting things I've seen is that some attorneys still don't bother to put a password on their laptops mm -hmm. and leave Basics. it open. Yeah, very basics. And I, you know, when I, when I hire a new clerk who, you know, is going to use their own device, which I have no problem with, I'm like, do you have a password on that? And yeah. one out of a couple don't already. And I'm like, oh, you need to put that on before you start working for me. And, you know, that's like the first thing. And then, of course, you know, are you using a VPN? Uh, and, you know, you got to make sure your device is secure and within your, you know, reasonable reach. Uh, but, do you, do you recommend any VPNs? So there's a ton of them out there. Um, I use Freedom. There's, you know, I think many good ones are available. Google it and you'll find lists of them. You know, find something reputable, decent size, um, you know, and, and go with it. Use, use one. <laughs> it almost doesn't right. matter which one. Just use one. Well, let me uh, go down this rabbit hole a little bit. Mm -hmm. So first, do you use one? in your office? So I don't. I considered doing so. And if, when I first got a VPN, I was, but you know, they don't, they're not without their downsides, mm -hmm. including like, not that this is what I do at work, but you can't watch Netflix, for example, right. with a VPN. Um, which as a side note, the first time I ever heard of a VPN was when I was living in Australia and I learned that that's what all my Australian friends did to trick Netflix into thinking they were in the US and watch shows before right. they came out in Australia. Right, but then um, how is it that you're able, to you're, you're able to watch Netflix overseas, you know, the US recordings and whatnot, but you can't use a VPN here in the States 
and watch well, Netflix. I wonder if since I've come back, if that's something Netflix changed. I haven't asked any of my Australian friends if they're still doing it. Uh, so I, I, might just I still heard change. of others that are still oh, really? doing that. Yeah, like, yeah, I caught the season of, you know, House of Cards or, or you know, The Boys on Amazon. And, uh, you know, they're able to watch that first season when they're not supposed to be technically able oh, okay. to. So I guess it still works, but I don't know. But it, it, you know, it impacts other things with work too sometimes, Mm -hmm. and it can be cumbersome. It can slow things down sometimes. It can block certain sites. And so um, I don't use it in the office, but I use it anytime I'm on any form of public Wi-Fi. So Megan, tell us two others. All right. So another is actually less tech oriented than you might think, but it's Mm -hmm. using vendors who don't know the legal field. And that comes back to tech with um, building websites or creating email campaigns, that sort of thing where you're not necessarily going to have someone who understands why you can't say certain things or do certain things. And we tend to abdicate authority in the tech arena for especially tech-driven advertising because it is overwhelming. It's overwhelming to create the content, to keep up with it. And so we're like, here, this company says that they'll build my website for me and I don't even have to worry about it. They'll just take care of it. And when we delegate authority, particularly in the tech field, to entities that are not specializing in law, mm-hmm. they won't even know that there is an issue. Right? That's the biggest problem. If you're dealing with someone who deals with lawyers, they might not know the rules. And you, of course, are responsible for adhering to them, even if you're delegating authority. But they'll at least know there is a rule. Right? And they'll be like, I'm not sure if we can do this. Talk to me about this. But if you're dealing with someone who's never had a lawyer for a client before, they won't even know to ask a question. They'll just think that they can do certain things, which can get you in a lot of trouble. And going to the state bar and be like, well, I didn't actually know what was happening. I just signed this contract and let somebody have access to my domain name doesn't really help you. Well, you know, in the times I've had my webpage developed for me, I've always proofread everything. So, I mean, whether you have a clerk, an associate or a vendor, you still need to prove your stuff. Yeah, at the very least. And really, you should be driving it quite a bit and making sure that, you know, all of your ethics rules are being followed. I mean, depending on your state, you might have some wonky thing, you know, about it has to have the attorney's name or it has to have a physical address, which is an issue with a lot of us with virtual firms. You know, we have to look at those individual rules. And so you've got to be in the trenches with Mm -hmm. building tech tools, even if you are not the tech person. Excellent. Excellent. And, and what is your third suggestion? Your third so my third flaw really where we go wrong is not using technology where using it could save us from ethical violations. So for example, I'm really big on automation. Mm-hmm. You know, I talked a little bit about Zapier earlier. Right. Use tools that can automate processes that will help you not screw up. Is <laughs> really the right. basics of what I'm saying. So You should have something that will automatically create files for you, that will bring over a template fee agreement for you, that will tickle you and remind you to get that fee agreement signed before you start working. Tech can be a huge tool for safeguards. If you're not using it, you're really shooting yourself in the foot because you could be protecting yourself if you weren't just avoiding it, which some people do. Hmm. Uh, Can you... 
does Clio allow you to create your own workflows? It does. It does. And, you know, as a non-programmer, how easy are you finding it to implement a workflow like that? Oh, it's extremely easy. And if it's not Clio that you use, you know, other practice management softwares do it, or right. you can have Zaps. Um, oh, one of the things I didn't mention, another app we use is Kanban Tool. And Trello right. is another. It's, it's similar to Trello you know, with Kanban boards. And Zapier puts cards on our Kanban Tool board so that we are reminded, oh, that's right, this has to happen. And it has checklists, checklists mm-hmm. integrated. Mm-hmm. You know, so, oh, wait, we didn't get this done yet. You know, sometimes I'll go back and, oh, we didn't get that signed yet. And then, oh, no, we just forgot to check it off. That's fine. Just don't forget to get it done. You know, so I think lawyers are missing opportunities to help protect themselves if they're not looking at using these tools. Have you used any of the online uh, docketing forecast uh, programs like calendar rules that, you know, if you put in a trigger, you know, you a a motion to uh, dismiss was filed in this particular court and it will calculate out your response dates and the other dates. Or if you filed a complaint, you know, when is the service of summons due, you know, where it kind of just automatically populates the dates out and then you can incorporate into your calendar or even your client relations management program. So I love those tools. I have played with them, you know, demoed them. I don't use them in my practice simply because my court is so funky that none of those services have their rules. Right, right. (laughs) Um, But the court uses one. Um, I don't know what the court uses. I think it's probably something that they built themselves. Um, But I'll tell you this. I was recently at a status conference with the court where in our cases, in discipline cases, the first status conference, we set all the dates in the case. And the judge said, well, I calculate that trial needs to start by such and such a date. And she didn't really calculate it. She even admitted, you know, well, the computer told me. And my opposing counsel and I both went, oh, really? That's not the date we got. And the judge was so flustered. She went with the date the computer gave her and said, we all counted. I'm like, I can count to 125. That's how many days it was. But, you know, um, so the lesson that I take from that is even if you're using those, and I think that if you are in litigation and there's a tool available to you, you should be using it, still double check everything. Right. Because in the end, it's still your signature on that piece of paper. Yeah. Now the judge can say, I'm going to go by the computer and not what I count, but it's not going to work for us. Well, the, the judge can go by whatever he or she wants. And right? you know, we, we, we have to kind of follow along whether we like it or not. Um, so tell us, uh, let's go on to the next question then. Megan, what are your three favorite apps and why? So Zapier, what we've talked extensively right. about, uh, Clio with mm-hmm. its LawPay integration, mm-hmm. that makes payments so much easier. And um, LawPay is for the uh, listener? Credit card processing for lawyers. Right. And, and they're known for really keeping the fees coming specifically from your operating account versus your trust account, which some banks claim they do, but I don't, yeah. I don't, I would I never, so well. I would never use a credit card processor. That's not actually based in legal where that's one of the few things I'll say that about. I mean, so often I'm like, we can learn so much from other you know, apps, from other industries, from people in other fields. But when it comes to credit card processing, there is no reason to go anywhere, but a legal credit card processor. Um, what was the one that you were using with Acuity? So Stripe, I use Stripe with Acuity because that never goes to trust, doesn't mm-hmm. deal with trust in mm-hmm. any way. Mm-hmm. And I only use it for a very limited purpose. 
Okay. Excellent. Um, well, and then my third, my third, third app right. is actually not really very legal oriented, but it's an, a Chrome uh, plugin called stay focused. And I use that to limit, well, mostly social media, um, anything that will take me down a rabbit hole and make time disappear. So is Chrome your favorite browser? Yes. And why is that? You know, I started using it some time back and whenever I have to go to another browser, I'm mm -hmm. just, I'm so annoyed by um, just the interfaces of others. And Chrome with its plugins is so customizable mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. I really, I really like being able to kind of mess with it and do what I want with it. You might want to consider trying Opera. I find that to be a little bit faster than Chrome. It's based off of Chrome, and you can also put in most of the um, apps and extensions for Chrome into Opera. Oh. Well, I might have to play with that. Yeah, so take, uh, take a look. Uh, but now I kind of hinted earlier to you uh, sort of off, uh, off the mic that I, I was going to ask you a, a quick extra question that I thought uh, kind of dawned on me from, what, from our conversation. So what are three tech tips about working in a virtual office? I mean, what are the things that you find that you need to make sure that you're doing it right, to make sure that you're following your bar ethics guidelines? Good question. Um, well, the VPN is definitely mm -hmm. one because as a virtual attorney, I'm not going to just sit in one spot on my secure network all day. Mm -hmm. um, I literally work from my car outside of children's activities. I work from Starbucks when I need to change a scene. Um, and I think most virtual lawyers are similar. Right. Um, I also work on trips, <laughs> which is part of why we can take them. Right. Um, so that's an important thing. Um, having your phone set up in a way that um, isn't super obvious to the outside world that you're virtual is very helpful. It's not so much an ethics thing or security thing. It's more perception for clients as virtual lawyering gains more and more ground. You know, when I first started doing this work, um, it was a big deal to explain to somebody that I don't live where I'm working. And right. no, I don't, you can't come into my office down the street because I'm not actually down the street. And that was a lot harder for some clients to swallow. Mm -hmm. And I, lo I mean, I lost a good number of clients when they realized I wasn't down the street. That just doesn't really happen anymore. It's much more acceptable today. And I think more and more people realize like, oh, even if you were down the street, I have no intention of stopping by. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't want to waste my time or your time sitting across the desk from you. But that being said, it is still very useful to set up your phone system in a way that isn't so obvious, like, oh, you're calling my Georgia cell phone. No, you're calling my San Francisco Bay Area office phone number. It's right. still ringing on my cell phone in Georgia. Right. And I'm not going to lie to you. You know, if you call me and you go, are you on your cell phone? Absolutely. I'm on my Georgia cell phone sitting here in wherever I happen to be today. Exactly. Um, but it's just, it lowers the friction for clients when they're calling a local number. And having it work on your phone um, makes a big difference. So all my outgoing calls, I call out of my office phone when I'm calling people. And I think number three, we said VPN, yes. your phone, and one more maybe? Yes. Um, I realize I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah. Let me No, I, I can think of a lot of things that aren't so tech-oriented. Um, well, I guess my third would have to be having a laptop that isn't fragile for one thing. My, my yoga that I talked about earlier, it broke 
I mean, it still works, but you don't close it anymore because the hinge broke when it got dropped and it didn't get dropped terribly far or on something terribly hard. Having a hardier set of tools, including laptop, really helps because if you're virtual, the whole point is to be portable. And so you want to be able to throw it in your bag and run off and you, oh my gosh, it fell off a table or it fell, you know, somewhere. You don't need military grade, right? I've seen right. those and they're very cool. Well, it's <laughs> I don't have one. Drives, though. I mean, you know, your, your data is pretty much secure. True. Um, but you want to be, you know, you want to build a set of tools that is truly portable. And so your laptop being, you know, the hub of everything right. you do, despite, um, my friend Chad Burton once wrote an article for Lawyerist about ditch your computer, you work off your phone. And it was a bit tongue in cheek, but he had some points and we can do a ton on our phones. But right. the truth is our laptop's still gonna be the center of everything. And so having tools that can travel um, is, is an important part of being virtual. Well, if I may ask you, do you use online backup? Uh, yeah, well, I, I use Dropbox as my mm -hmm. primary um, storage and so I have that all backed up there um, and I do run um, backups, you know, periodically, but everything is cloud-based. I mean, even though, even though everything is on my hard drive, mm -hmm. if not everything, but you know, my basic needs of day to day, if my laptop fell in a pool, mm -hmm. I'd grab a new laptop and be up and running in 10 minutes. And that is a very important point to make about your laptop being hardy is one thing um, being replaceable is absolutely necessary. There's a great article out there. Um, John Grant, the agile mm -hmm. attorney has written a piece and I, I would start on his website looking for it. I'll try and find you a link for it. Appreciate um, it. Thank you. But he wrote a piece about how he lost his laptop. I forget what the circumstances were. I feel like it was like left on an airplane. I mean, it was, it was gone and he was able to shut it down, wipe it remotely. Right and start up again and you know no time lost no data lost and so having a system like that in place is also very useful i can't remotely wipe my laptop if that happened um but and, and that that would be an extra feature that would be great but i do sometimes think about like spilling something <laughs> or you know like i said i work in my car sometimes right. i could so easily drop a cup of coffee um, but I would be able to replace it because everything's cloud backed up. Gotcha. Megan, thank you for sharing your insights and I appreciate you being a guest on our podcast. Uh, where can people find you? Well, I'm most active online on Twitter. My handle is Xavier Law and my website is XavierLaw.com. We also have a presence on Facebook and LinkedIn, um, but Twitter is really where I'm most active. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Tech Savvy Lawyer Page podcast. I hope you enjoyed yourself, learned something new, and we'll come back again in about two Tuesdays for another podcast. If you have any ideas about the presentation, questions about what we discussed, or ideas about future episodes, please leave comments on the blog or email me directly at michaeldj at thetechsavvylawyer.page. Have a great day and happy lawyering. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B &B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.